You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's probably sounding a little bit different today. We're back in the studio. You're uh, downtown Los Angeles Untapped studio. <laughs> I, pro- I promise not to do that voice all the time, but uh, it- it's fun. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know what else is fun? Probably this beer. Yeah, it, it's it's about to be. Uh, what do we have? <laughs> it'll it'll get fun as the show goes on. I'm yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we have Bible Belt by Evil Twin and Prairie Artisan Ales. It is a collaboration. Uh, it's an American Imperial Stout, and it's clocking in at thirteen percent. Now, when I gave you choices of what we should have today, mm-hmm. you said this one, and you didn't realize that it was going to be thirteen. A big one. Yeah. No. Um. Which is fine. Fine with me. I, I think we tend to do a, a lot of lower ABV beers. And these, as we've talked about before, definitely change as the beer warms up. Mm. It changes uh, depending on what style it is and, um, you know, what what notes come out as the alcohol is higher, uh, whether they need to balance that with more sweetness or whether they balance that with other flavors. Um, what are they doing in this one in particular? So this one, um, I did, there were a few entries for Bible Belt. Um, I, this says Bible Belt even more. Um, I'm going to guess it's uh, the even more is a part of the name, but the even more Imperial Stout aged on coffee, vanilla, chilies, and cocoa nibs. That's all sounding really good to me. That's all my wheelhouse. From what I read on the uh, untapped description, it's actually a variant on um, Evil Twins' Even More Jesus. Ah, okay. Um, but aged, obviously, with all these delicious additions. And there's a lot of prairie ales that are real dark, oh, yeah. real sticky. You got you the know. bombs, mm-hmm. all the, that variation. Birthday bomb. Yeah, all really good. I, I, I tend to like the high ABV prairie beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so And the, the high ABV Evil Twins. Yeah, they're both right in that area. Let's crack this one open. Oh, man, that's pours dark. All right, so while we have it in the glass, definitely aromas of chocolate. Um, I get booze and chilies for sure. Hmm. It's so cold, I can kind of feel on the nose the the, the coldness. It's like I uh, un- unsheathed a uh, frozen chili that I you know had really thrown a bunch of hot peppers into and uh, came out of the freezer popped it open it's got you know like uh like a chili colorado right it's got like the chocolate flavors and the the hot chilies the vanilla is probably going to be imparted more on the uh taste okay to try and balance this out but i'm willing to try it i'm ready yeah the chocolate chocolate stands out in the aroma as well like you were just mentioning like the chili and then lots of dark chocolate sort of thing going on there it's um extremely dark almost almost black yeah it's got a nice um a nice sort of like mocha foam mm-hmm. that formed on there it looks really smooth lots of small little bubbles uh not not, not nitrogenated i assume just uh carbonated that's my new favorite word by the way nitrogenated that we learned last week <laughs> i had no idea what that was yeah no, that, that's so good. Are you kidding? That's not 13%. It's freakishly smooth and drinkable. It is bitter on on the back end. It is not as sweet as I expected. Very, very balanced for 13. Yeah, I, I'm not getting the overly boozy sweetness that you'd expect out of at something all. barrel age. No way. The bitterness it leaves at the end is very interesting. It's very like reminiscent of like dark, like very bittersweet dark chocolate. Absolutely. Uh, an 85% uh, or, or so 
almost on the coffee spectrum. I mean, it's from coffees that are like Brazil mm -hmm. or uh, Costa Rica or, you know, those kind of South American coffees. You get a lot of the chocolate character uh, accented with the bitterness of coffee and cocoa and kind of, you know, all those flavors. I get a lot of that from this. I don't know what kind of coffee they used or if this was, you know, just a French roast uh, to try and pump up the the roastiness. But I get definitely a lot of the, the South American coffee flavors out of this one. Now, I wonder where the chili comes in, because when I when I hear about chilies in a beer, usually I think heat more so than flavor and like a lingering heat usually. Yeah, but I'm not getting any sort of heat off of this right now, um, maybe because it is so cold. Maybe once it warms up, some of that might might shine through a little more mm -hmm. um but so far like it's a very smooth very balanced not overly sweet not overly bitter and not uh thick it's, yes it is very thin for being such a high abv with a lot of you know cocoa and and coffee and even just this this barrel aged character tends to lend itself to a, a pretty thick and high gravity beer now, I don't know if it's just me, but something hits on the very front of the tongue when you first take a sip. It's really, this is really tasty. I feel like I say that about a lot of beers, but this in particular, it's very, like... The spice may be up front. I think that's that may is be that what, what I'm getting. what that little bit is? Yeah, okay. because it's it's got uh, the the carbonated bit of of this beer. At, at, the, at such a high ABV, I tend to not want these types of beers to be carbonated much at all. Mm. They should pour, you know, super viscous... Um, have almost no head on them by the time you are ready to drink them. Um, I think with this one in particular, as the bubbles come out of solution, as soon as it hits your tongue, you get the spicy character either balanced with the carbonation or actually from the chilies. Mm -hmm. And then it dissipates into this kind of bittersweet chocolate flavor afterwards. That would be my only guess on this. I would be really curious to hear if anyone has had this one and what they thought about it. And you can do that by hitting us up on social, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and tagging us at Untapped, because obviously we would like to hear what your thoughts are on this. All right, now I thought it would be fun to try something completely different and maybe play a little bit of a game here on the show. Okay. I'm up for that. Who doesn't like radio show, uh, radio game shows? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know. I'm I'm definitely a fan of those we've talked about uh, before. You know, playing playing games uh, either on a podcast or uh, on the radio, and I I love 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 doing these. I liked your uh, your fair food. Um, <laughs> what, which one was that? Like, <laughs> well, we actually just played a game of uh, MLB nickname or not. It was the Players Weekend back I think at the end of July or in the middle of August sometime. And uh, you needed to guess whether or not it was the name of a MLB player that they gave themselves or if it was a fast food item. <laughs> so good. So I love it. It was a really, real, real fun game. Hard. Very difficult. Oh, I can imagine. I'll, uh, I'll have to show you later. I, yes, please. Um, all the talk about hops last week, by the way, with our last episode uh, mm -hmm. with Victory, talking about the six hops that they were using in their homegrown. And then we also had mentioned the seven hop from um, Rogue. Mm -hmm. All that got me thinking, like, hops are so interesting. And, like, the names, and we had some, we were trying to, you know, figure out how, how, do, you pronounce how do you pronounce them? them and what are they, what, all that stuff. Yeah. So I thought it might be interesting to put your hop knowledge to the test. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I know that you recently um, went through reading quite a bit about hops and hop varieties. I did, yeah. Uh, not only because maybe one day I will be cultivating them, but um, 
we're also kind of using them as code names internally uh, at Untapped. So it's it. I think it. I did a little bit of research into them uh, and a little bit of history, but I didn't go really line by line. I looked for some specifics. I'm not so much. Um, I was never super into comic books or superhero movies, but I know a decent amount. I watched cartoons and I read a few comics and I've seen some of the movies. And I was reading through some hop names. I was just thinking like. This is very interesting because some of these sound so familiar. So I thought we'd try a game here called Hop Variety or Marvel Comic Villain. All right. That sounds that sounds like fun. Now, what about your 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 hop knowledge seems to be on point. What about your comic villains? Mm, I don't I don't read comics. I don't. I do watch the movies, the Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I'll watch those. Uh, I haven't wa- I haven't seen really that many DC. So I assume you likely will not be giving uh, hops the name of the Joker or uh, the Riddler. You know, I don't I don't see uh, beers, maybe the Rattler, but uh, that's that's something completely different. <laughs> I, I definitely I cut out some of the obvious ones. Okay. Um, I put together so I put together two lists. I've got a list of um, some hop varieties that I pulled that seemed fairly close. And I pulled a handful of uh, Marvel comic villains, some of which I've never heard of before, but the names were right on point. So. I think it's time to uh, let's play. put your knowledge to the test yeah. and uh, see how it goes. All right. So we can start off with uh, with an easy one here. Chinook. That's a hop variety. Okay, good. All right. Just making sure we put you, put you <laughs> together here. I couldn't really tell you much other than, than whether it's a hop or not. Maybe that's a, a West Coast, uh, sort of Northwest kind of thing. It sounds like it. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's try one here. Um, Galactus. Oh, my gosh. Uh, let's go with Comic Villain. You are correct. All right. All right. That is uh, from Fantastic Four. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. All right. How about Galaxy? Galaxy's got to be. That's a hop. Yeah. yeah that's all right. right. All right. That that was That's an easy one there. <laughs> How about Mephisto? Oh, my gosh. Uh, comic Villain? Correct. All right. Good job. Zithos. Hop. Yes. Ah, that's very good. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> because, uh, you know, uh, you have some that are, uh, how, about, how about Thanos? That's it. I just saw that movie. That's a, that is a comic villain okay, for sure. good. Yes, from the Avengers or, um, yeah, was it? Yeah, the, the latest Avengers movie. It's sort of, it's in limbo right now. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, if you haven't seen that latest one, definitely see it. How about Maximus? Uh, comic villain? Yes, dang it. Ah, really? Yep. That sounds like it should be a, a dry hopped with Maximus hops. <laughs> this is exactly, that's exactly why I did this. Uh, how about Omega? Comic villain. No, uh, that is really? a hop, yes. Okay. That's a hop variety. Omega. Not one I see often. I, I'm curious to know, like, the flavors that are imparted by a, a an Omega hop. Uh, let's see. The Omega Hop is, uh, despite its pleasant European aroma, decent alpha, store stability, and wilt resistant. All right, next one. Let's see. Um, how about Talisman? Oh, man. Hop. Yes. All right. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if they're, you know, like, are these bittering hops? Are these, you know, what do they impart so, on, so it's on, on the, the beer? The last one, the, the Omega, that is an aroma hop. Ah, okay. All right. Um, I, I pulled aroma flavoring and i just mixed them all up so i don't have them broken down that way but that one is definitely got it uh let's see how about um gallina i i wouldn't mind a gallon of beer uh <laughs> let's go hop then you are correct ah man that is really good yeah boy that would get really confusing wouldn't that 
can I get a gallon of hops? Uh, I'm sorry. How, how many? Much? How much? <laughs> Do you, <laughs> which ones? Uh, let's see. How about Corvac? Oh, hop. Incorrect. Oh, man. That is, from what I read, another uh, another villain from the Avengers. Okay. Huh. See, I don't. I probably don't pay attention well enough. I was thinking because they do have um, like registered trademark names for a lot of these hops too. Yes, that are cultivated, you know, by one particular company. Um, that does sound like one that would have been, you know, Monsanto would have been. <laughs> it would have been like a. Like, that sounds like a villain. The Corvac from mm-hmm. Monsanto. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Callisto? Hop. Nope. Oh, that is a villain from the X Men. What? This is very good. This is a very good game. I'm very impressed. As soon as I saw like Thanos and Maximus, yeah. I was just like, these sound exactly like hop names. We've got to do this. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let me see if I can find one more here. How about Romulus? See if we're uh, Star Trek. I'll go comic villain. You are correct. Uh, okay. That is someone from the Wolverine comics. Oh, uh, really? Okay. All right. Or so the internet says. Yeah. 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 I believe him. I mean, why not? <laughs> this was a very very fun game <laughs> i thank you very much for uh for letting me play this oh yes you you I, i'm impressed i wasn't keeping track but you definitely got more right than wrong mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i'm your knowledge here is pretty solid i'd say maybe a c c average no, no that was that was at least a, that was at least a b okay i think all right, all right. Four, four stars yes how many how many caps did i get <laughs> This is great. I'm going to have to go and figure out some more of these. This sounds like a BuzzFeed quiz waiting to happen. Oh, for sure. I could see that. What? The, uh, mm, this is going on the blog later. It's got to. I no, mean, this could be an Instagram story. Yeah. Yep. Make your guesses. All right. Got Con- content here. strategy live. <laughs> Our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers podcast is back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks for you. Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Four Brewers and I'm back with today's homebrew tip. And today we're going to go off on a little bit of a tangent and talk about making your own wine. Now I'm not going to get too in depth and if you want to see a blog post that I did about making my first batch of wine, you can go to bit.ly.com slash day. That's all one word, day. I was inspired to brew my own batch of wine after watching an episode of Brewing TV from Northern Brewer back in the day. It's really simple to do, and if you have the ingredients to make your own beer, you can make your own wine outside of a few specialty items, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So you can typically get a wine kit at a homebrew shop, or you can order it online. There's different varieties of wine kits for different grapes. Um, They vary in price. They can be very expensive or very cheap. And in my case, I bought a Riesling wine kit, which is a white wine, and the kit was about $65 at the time, and I think the same kit now is about $75. It's really simple to make. They give you all the instructions and everything you need, including the yeast. It's really cool. Now, the two items you need that don't come with the wine kit are what's called a wine wand and a capper or a corker. Um, You probably already have a capper if you're home brewing, so you're good to go there. Now, the wine wand is especially important. Basically, what it is, it's a piece of plastic with these three tongs on it, and you attach it to a drill, and you use the drill to turn it at a very high speed. Mixing the ingredients when making wine 
and aerating the wine are very, very important. And you can also use the wine one after the wine is done fermenting to degas the wine because you'd want the wine to be still and have no carbonation. The other item I mentioned is the corker. Now, you don't need a corker. You don't have to put your wine in wine bottles and cork it. You can put your wine in beer bottles and enjoy it just the same as you would a bottle of beer. But it's really cool to put your wine in a bottle and have a nice presentation. In the case of mine, I used wine bottles. I corked them and I put these shrink wrap tops on top of the bottles. It made it look really classy. These things are relatively cheap. Um, you can get a cheap corker at a homebrew shop. The wine one, I think, is like 10 bucks. You don't have to spend a lot of money on this stuff. And like I said, if you have the stuff to brew your own batch of beer, you can make a batch of wine. So again, go to bit.ly.com slash day. I wrote a really in-depth blog post about it. It's step-by-step on how to make your own wine. It's really fun, and it's a simple way to get something fermenting in your place without a lot of effort. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You can catch more of John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. All right, let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. So over the weekend, I went down to Arts District Brewing here in the Arts District in Los Angeles, and um, I was trying a few different beers that they had on tap down there, kind of mixing up the styles I would normally go for. Like, where do you go? You go you go here, you find something juicy or hazy, and that's what you drink. Mm-hmm. So I, they, they had a double IPA on, and they specifically were like, this is not juicy. This is a throwback to the original piney hoppy thing. I see folks kind of bucking the trend a bit. Yeah. You know, they want to pl- they want to go back to their roots. They want to brew something different. Maybe that's a little bit of West Coast influence. Uh, you know, folks saying whatever happened to craft beer? Hey, remember back when they uh, when it wasn't hazy? Yes, exactly. So <laughs> while I was there, I also ended up trying a couple of things that were usually outside of my wheelhouse. I had a really nice Vienna lager. Mm. Um, I had this uh, smoked Hell's lager, which is something I wouldn't normally get. And it got me kind of thinking back to some of those classic German styles. Um, we've talked about the Vienna Lager. We've talked about Lager in general, so Hell's kind of falls under that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I kind of started thinking back, and I came across the Schwarzbier, which I have had a few of in the past. Okay. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to kind of dip into that segment here. Not one you see a lot of around here, honestly. This is true. So the Schwarzbier, which literally translates to black beer in German, um, may be the oldest continuously brewed beer style in the world. Wow. Okay, that's that's a bit surprising to me. Uh, I assume it has something to do with maybe the the kilning of the malts and like, hey, they just had to like it's either hot or not, and you <laughs> you, you have no choice but it's you know a, a clear beer or this you know dark deep uh, roasted beer. Yeah, why that's the case, I I can't say for sure, but I do know that according to some research they did in 1935. Um, a vessel with the remains of some kind of a black beer and some bits of partially baked bread, which was actually used to start fermentation at the time. Um, these, these were all found in a Celtic tomb near Kumbach in northern Bavaria. Now, the tomb, they say, dates back almost 3,000 years to 800 BC. Wow. wow. This basically makes it the oldest evidence of brewing found in Europe. That's that's incredible. I hmm. 
that's the kind of thing where uh i mean okay so recently they've had you know that whole like uh you know we want to sign this petition we want to drink the tomb uh juice that's in there <laughs> uh, for a beer and some bread i don't know i would at least want to run it through a mass spec i would at least want to see you know hey what is this if it's got actual liquid still inside yes that's and I can sense your chemistry bio nerd coming yeah, out. I want, I want to see. I want to see what's in it. Show me those peaks. <laughs> we can deduce that since this was a black beer and it was brewed in the vicinity of Kumbach, um, which still actually brews black beer today. That this is quite possibly an ancient ancestor to the modern Schwartz beer. Hmm. Okay. Now, now something that they that I did find along the way is that it's not necessarily the first you know, brewing of beer or the first beer ever brewed. But the idea is that it is something that has been consistently brewed. Um, there were a lot of um, ancient civilizations like in the Middle Eastern area um, that can be credited for brewing some form of a beer or fermented beverage. But um, a lot of those didn't continue. Those civilizations were kind of crushed out or right. um, different cultures moved in that kind of made the brewing culture go away. So the idea here is that this is the oldest continuously brewed, which I find super interesting. I wonder if there was something too about the um, uh, the necessity back then for beer to be the way that uh, they sterilized water and made it, you know, so that was something that you could drink. And the way that you knew that this stuff was working was it was dark, right? Yes. It, it wasn't just this kind of clear, it doesn't, you know, look like water whatsoever. Yes. You know that kind of the impurities are maybe still in there. You're trying to hide a bit of uh, maybe uh, wherever you got that water. <laughs> that, that may be, maybe. Yes, and dark dark and black beer, um, it, it dates back for, you know, centuries it's medieval times obviously there was more beer that was drank than water mm -hmm. um and just the way that the the low-tech abilities of producing the beer led to the darker you know kiln malts and all right. that stuff right. um and it wasn't until later on when the it's idea not a of cold like, lagering system it, right precisely that yeah. is, that's it um it wasn't until um 1174 that the first documented proof of Kumbach um as a brewing center came to be and so what, what what is this documented look like? I, I'm curious to know if it's like, you know, uh, chiseled into a stone. Somewhere. Yeah, stone tablets. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is not uh, cuneiform or anything. It's it's got to be like uh, maybe the written word or someone's handwriting or a picture. And, you know, if if um, if these documented um, records are, you know, legitimate, that basically kind of supports the idea that Kumbach is the oldest active brewing center in the world. Hmm. As like we talked about, the continuously because they continue. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. The first documentation of the Schwartz beer as a style actually came in around 1390 from uh, Brauschwet with a beer that was called the Brauschweger Mum. So that's what 200 years later or so. Yeah, the from the first advent. Yes, from when like the idea of like just the black beer kind of turned more into this whole Schwartz beer style that we're used to. Got it. Um, around the same time, um, other areas in northern Bavaria, they began brewing something very similar. And um, these beers were all likely brewed with uh, ale yeast, uh, though obviously soon after this, lagering would become a thing. And mm -hmm. lager yeast and cold fermentation, all that stuff would start to take more of the lead here. Modern force beers are produced throughout southeast and eastern Germany. Um, they, they're deep red, black in color and really elegant, exhibiting all of kind of like the roundness of the characteristics of traditional German lager brewing. It really is one of those really core German, like super German styles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it's got a lot of history in that area. And just as you can see, like it's been around for how long now? <laughs> quite, quite, quite a bit. Yeah. And it seems to, I mean, obviously it's made its way also out to the U S and other places. This is not just the style it's brewed specifically here now. It's, it's, no. you know, I see everywhere very, else I world. see very few here actually. Yeah. I, from my beer history, I'll get into this a bit, but, uh, most of what I have had have actually been local beers. Uh, that have fallen in the Schwartz beer category. Some up at Dust Bowl, uh, Craftsman, Sismontane, Anaheim, just all kind of local local beers. Uh, last The last one I had was actually at Hopewell Brewing Company in uh, Chicago. And this one was a uh, no IBU, 4.8% ABV Schwartz beer. Uh, very good. I remember having this one very specifically. It was, you know, on vacation. Um, so couldn't couldn't really forget it. But the rest of these, they'll sit between somewhere on 3.5 to 5 range. I, I When I have tried these, there have been two that I have rated a 5. Uh, so I tend to kind of gravitate to this style when I can find it. Uh, but again, like here in the U.S., we don't really have many places that brew these beers. Yeah, and you're you're right on there. The alcohol content is usually somewhere between 4.1 to 5%. Mm-hmm. Then the short beers are also made using cold fermentation methods, um, which classes them as a lager. Uh, though historically warm fermentation was used. So obviously when this style came to be, it was before lagering and cold fermentation. So mm-hmm. that's, that would be the roots are more of a warm fermentation, but now obviously it's a lot easier, um, a lot more modern to do cool fermentation. They get their dark color from the use of uh, particularly dark malt or roast malt extract in brewing. Now that's one of the reasons that I particularly mm. like these is, it's got that really deep, roasty, malty thing, but mm-hmm. it's a lot lighter and less overwhelming than, say, like a porter or a stout. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, more so than a stout, but a porter. You know, porters can be in this range, but obviously they're slightly higher ABV. And it, it and also leans tr- It leans a little less on the hop side as well. It's just kind of, um, it's more a, a malt and light crisp beverage yes. than it is a, it, it's kind of like one of those when you have a golden stout and you're like, why does this taste so roasty and heavy? But it's not, the it, the look of it does not match its flavor. Yes. I feel like this kind of falls in the same category. Yes, I agree. Um, I've got one here that's a smoked black lager that kind of, that describes sort of the the three words that I would typically associate with this kind of beer, where you've got kind of the roasty, smoky characteristics. You've got the lager characteristics as well in there of the like light and crisp beverage. And that all comes together to to make the Schwartz beer. The last one that I actually have. So I have a couple on here, mostly, again, local. Um, but I do have one that I had on vacation. Um, I think we were up in Big Bear. And there's this uh, German like delicatessen slash sausage place okay we stopped in just to have some lunch and i'm talking like the guy behind the counter had heavy german accent like made you a sandwich basically yeah Yeah. or um or blood sausage or uh you know whatever you wanted really and they had a fridge with some super german beers in there and um (laughs) as opposed to regular german yes no like i'm talking like (laughs) nothing in english in the that's incredible wow yeah and so i picked out a schwartz beer from there um, and I gave it a pretty good rating. Yeah. Um, it was only about 4.8% to 22 IBU. Um, and I remember just being like, well, when in Rome. <laughs> it, very much so. I think mine tend to also be sort of on the higher spectrum of of ratings because they have some sort of association with like, oh, I'm either on vacation or this is a style that I never see. I have one that here called uh, Schwartz Hop from Sismontane. Local place. But I rated a five 
comes in at 63 IBUs. It sounds like some sort of like dry hop Schwartz beer situation where someone was really pushing the envelope and trying something new with a style that maybe no one really tries out in this area. And I'm sure we're, you know, we're, we're kind of an anomaly in terms of the beer world of not really having the style because it's been around for such a long time. It sounds like we just need to get some more of these. We need to try some more. It, let's get a German beer on here. We need to start going to the imports section more than the uh, seasonal <laughs> section. <laughs> than the one-offs and the bottle lines and the, yeah, yep, yep, I'm with you. Let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. Our first article comes from Brewbound.com, and it is Mückler to open London Bar with Rick Astley. I have apparently been saying it wrong for years and years. Join uh, the club. Mckeller is not, I guess, no, how you say no, it. No, I'm getting, from what I'm seeing, it's more of a Mückler. Mückler. Yes. All right. Good. Please, listeners, correct us if we're wrong. I would love to get some helpful hints on how to pronounce both hop varieties, uh, <laughs> brewery be- owners, brewery owners, founders, hell breweries, breweries in general. Yep. Beer styles. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, please. So the founder of Mikeler, uh, who is Miko, uh, I'm not going to go for the last name because I'm just going to butcher it. and It's going to be really bad. His childhood idol, Rick Astley, they actually met each other a few years ago when they collaborated on a beer named Astley's Northern Hop Lager. Um, out of the friendship, the idea of opening a bar together actually kind of formed. Now the idea is actually coming to life when the two will be opening a bar in London on October 19th. All right. That's pretty cool. So I'm glad I'm glad they never gave up and they, they never let each other down. No, it doesn't seem seem like it. No, they didn't desert each other. I mean, it's it really staying true to to, uh, you know, Rick's mantra, I think. Where's the bell? No bells. <laughs> no, right. keep forgetting it. I find it interesting, though, that we have a Mikulara here, but this is going to be the first one in London. I, I did see that they have a, a spot at an airport now, I think in, in Copenhagen or that would make sense somewhere. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, they seem to be a very worldly and very well-traveled brand these days, and they're only getting bigger. Uh, I've been to their tap room out in Tokyo. And that was uh, such a that wonderful must have been time. Such a trip. It really was. We only stayed a couple blocks away, and it oh, was wow. wonder wonderful place. Um, yeah, I this is really cool. I might have to get out now to London. This will end up on my list for sure of places to go to. Oh yes. Now you think, okay, well, another bar in London. There are so many pubs and bars there. Well, the plan here is for it to stand out really based off of a lot of the design. Obviously, the beers will stand out, but there are so many great breweries in the world. Their goal here is to really stand out on a lot of the design. Um, they tasked this to a Danish design bureau, um, and the design, it, they've already, um, this team has already actually designed a number of the Mikula bars. Um, and the goal here really is to have their, like, Scandinavian DNA really drive a lot of the design um, with a combination of high quality materials and inviting color combinations, which I think, you know, just look at any of the Mikuler um, beers, like mm-hmm. the labels and the patterns and the colors. The caricatures. Yes, or, it's all it, very interesting and yeah. inviting and just it stands out 
there's been the whole like Scandinavian revitalization, I think, and both in design and in culinary technique in the culinary world right now. Um, it hasn't really made its way out to the U.S. so much, but uh, it seems to be a, a sort of popular style, both in design and in, in the culinary world right now. That's kind of taking over and, and making waves. So this is an interesting thing to see in the beer world specifically that that kind of thing is happening. And, and uh, Mikuler seems to be the ones driving it. Yeah. The partnership with the uh, musician is also going to be taken into account in the design of this bar, um, merging discrete references to um, Astley's early pop magic into the design. That's really cool. I, obviously, far beyond any of the Rick Roll jokes that I could make. Um, I'm sure Rick had a, a wonderful career that is just completely oblivious to me that uh, here in the U.S., not really, you know, they, not a part of our culture for some reason. Uh, one of the designers on the project is actually quoted saying, um, we were inspired by the mood of one of his 80s videos which we think has a unique sweetness and romance while having a kind of Italian bohemian bistro atmosphere. I, that sounds so interesting. Huh. You could do like a like sort of an Italian disco kind of <laughs> thing uh, yeah. maybe with that. I, I, that's very, very interesting. I'll have to dig up whatever this video is. Yeah. It also says that they're going to be using some lyrics in some of the small details, which you're going to get Rickroll the second you're there. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's that's really good. Um, the opening of the Mikula Bar London will be celebrated with a special opening event, and the duo also plans to brew a new beer together, uh, which is to be launched at the opening. All right. I, you'll, you'll probably never be able to put it down. <laughs> never going to. Uh... <laughs> Moving on. Our next article comes from blogs.findlaw.com, which is an interesting place to be going for your uh, beer industry news, but I thought this was very entertaining. Now, um, I'd say like maybe two or three weeks ago, we were sharing some images on Instagram and I came across this beer, white label, neon, cool burger logo on it and palm trees wrapping the top and bottom. And instantly, as, hmm. as people who live in California, instantly we knew what this was. Yep. Now, this beer is called the In-N-Out Stout. Now, if you're not from Southern California, In-N-Out Burger is a staple here in the, um, the Southwest because I know it's California, Nevada, Arizona. It's making its way east, but not quite. Utah, I think, has a couple now. Yeah, it's really, it's making its way. It's sort of like the West Coast Shake Shack, if you would. Yes. It's it, anybody who we, like we talked about this on the last episode. I, don't, I don't, It may have been cut out, but if you fly into Los Angeles from the East Coast, the first thing you do is drive out of the airport, make a left up Sepulveda and hit up In-N-Out right there. Yep. I Everyone I know does it. It, it is definitely like a, oh, you're going out to California, make sure you go there. Mm -hmm. So this beer, um, I, I I saw this, I was just like, this is amazing. It's it's this beer that looks exactly like In-N-Out's branding. And mm -hmm. you think like, how is this possible? Well, turns out it's not actually possible. <laughs> it, it, when I did see it, when you shared it on Instagram, I figured, boy, this is not going to go well. And I think on the label itself, it does say in and stout Oh, or, yes, it's, or, it's in and I think it's in and stout. OK, yeah. so it's, it's definitely a play on words, yeah. but the branding and the recognition of the brand, it's instantaneous, especially if you're already familiar with it. Yes. So the article, it's actually in and out sends beerly funny cease and desist letter. So you can kind of get an idea of where we're going with this. Yeah. Um, In-N-Out Burger caught wind through social media that a uh, local San Francisco brewery had created a beer 
and beer can design that gave homage to the regional fast food chain. Um, and however, rather than accept the homage um, and be pleased that their brand was about to get some free organic marketing from a beloved brewery, um, it fired off a cease and desist letter complete with beer puns. Oh, boy. You have some examples of, yeah, of this. So, uh, <laughs> now we can see just how bad slash good the burger lawyers did. Uh, oh, boy. Apparently, they used uh, about 10 brewing and distilling related puns. The letter explains that the brewer's trademark infringement ails the burger joint. Oh. And that it must be addressed to prevent the problem from further brewing and that they are hoping to distill their rights amicably rather than barreling through it. <laughs> the letter further warns the brewer that uh, to not let the issue ferment and ends by hoping that the brewers are in good spirits. All right. Okay. Very good. <laughs> as as a person who loves puns, I'm sure you were pleased with this. Yeah. Um. I loved that it sort of started as a pun, you know, the in and stout. Yeah. Uh, and, and now it, in and out one upped them in a very internet friendly way. Um, I did see seven stills uh, taking a bit of time on their Instagram, both in stories and on their posts to rib in and out a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, which there's you know, nothing it, wrong with a good internet ribbing here. Kind of, kind of all in good fun. It sounded yeah. like, but uh, to take their can and put it in the ice machine at In and Out. I mean, it was sort of like, ah, boy, they're they're really kind of going the extra mile here. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting to see. Uh, the article, obviously, it's on a law website, so they talk a little bit more about how for consumers, seeing companies go to war over trademarks and other IP rights generally doesn't matter. Um, however, when a larger corporation feels the need to step up and protect their IP or intellectual property um, against a smaller company, the potential to come off kind of looking like a bully is a serious problem because, you know, you've got this large corporation upset at a small brewery. It's like, why don't you just leave them alone, man? Uh, but obviously, you have to protect your IP as a company because that's important. They're selling the beer. I mean, I get it. They they had to say something. But as anyone can see, in and out they're serious about protecting their IP, but they don't really take it to the level of being a bully by kind of saying, hey, you guys obviously crossed a line, but we're going to have fun with it while telling you that you kind of stepped across that. Um, according to reports, uh, it worked and the um, the brewery Seven Stills announced that uh, it will still release the beer. Um, it just won't come in the In-N-Out themed can. And um, there's no word on whether the in and stout name will be changed or remain. But hey, you know, I, it's one of those situations where I think everything was is just like, you guys, we see what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You got to like, can you back off? It's and a, we're just going to have a little fun with it. It's a little bit of like, I see you. We, the company, in and out, appreciate it. Thanks for, for you know, the love that you are showing to us by, you know, uh, playing uh, homage to, to us or paying, paying homage to us. Um, but big old but <laughs> yeah and then yeah, the, exactly. the letter follows now i, I wouldn't i'm i'm sad that the can won't be produced cuz that would be look so cool but the beer itself um it, it's a milk stout being described as neapolitan as it combines chocolate vanilla and strawberry flavors into one creamy stout now tell me have you had you've had shakes from in and out right yes so they have strawberry vanilla and chocolate yes now have you ever had a neapolitan shake from in and out no that is the only shake my wife will order really and it is all three flavors mixed Mixed at the same time or mixed in a sort of like... Uh, like layered into a shake. Okay. Uh, vertically. Well, I mean, it kind of they kind of get swirled a little bit. <laughs> okay. But like, it's not like they're going into mixing it up. But, yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're putting all three in there. And now, it's amazing. I, uh, 
this is not at all what I expected. I was expecting some sort of like omnipolo level. We brewed this with burger and fries, uh, <laughs> special sauce, and special sauce, raw onion. Yep, you got the you got the animal style. You got the yeah. I mean, w- go secret menu on this beer. Oh man! But uh, uh, maybe I'll have to try the actual uh you know Neapolitan shake. Do it, and then go up to San Francisco and grab this one. Yes, I that would be. a that would be a good pairing right there. <laughs> Try them side by side. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the next article we have comes from time.com. A record-setting runner disqualified for not drinking enough beer. I'm sorry. What? Say what? It's speaking, especially speaking of uh, going from one website to another. This is from time.com. Yes. Wow. So have you heard of a beer mile? Um, yes, it's a little bit longer than a yard of beer, right? You can get the yard, you can get the mile. It's just a lot of them. (laughs) And you usually like, that's a bad idea. Oh, Kyle. Oh, boy. I must be wrong. We're talking about running, not drinking a mile. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Although yeah, I guess yeah. technically it does do both. Anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. a beer mile is a where you run a mile, and while you're running it, you also have to stop four times and drink a can of beer. <sighs> this sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it sounds both amazing and terrible at the same time. Yeah. So this article is talking about uh, Corey Belmore uh, thought he had won last weekend's 2018 Beer Mile World Classic in Vancouver, um, British Columbia, with a shockingly fast time of four minutes and 24 seconds. Now, he ran a mile while stopping to drink a beer in four minutes, 24 seconds. I couldn't run a mile in probably less than eight. Yeah, no way. Four minutes. That's incredible. So I, this has got to be you don't you have to stop and drink it. Yeah, I believe so. No Way So unfortunately for Belmore, who actually holds the 2017 record for running the fastest beer mile in the world, which, as we just said, means running a mile with four stops to chug four beers. Um, the judges ruled that he didn't quite consume enough liquor to keep his winning title and time. Huh. So maybe maybe a, a bit too much sloshing as you are running and trying to consume this at once. The, the, mm. You have to stop and drink it and then get going again, from what I understand. So it, uh, maybe a little too much uh, falling out of, of the mouth, not, not, not totally consumed. Well, according to Runner's World, uh, Belmore and two other runners ultimately left behind more than the permitted amount of beer. Hmm. So they didn't finish enough uh, off the – Got it. At their stop. Yeah. Uh, one presumes they were too busy trying to keep up the pace that uh, in their haste to chug the beer, they didn't quite complete the task at hand. Mm. Uh, Belmore was disqualified by just half an ounce, according oh. to the Beer Mile Twitter account. His response on social media, never rush through life, he tweeted. Better luck next time. That is too bad. I mean, r- really, here, I definitely advocate for slowing down a little bit and yes. uh, enjoying your beer but this that's obviously not the point of the beer mile no uh, beer miles uh, which runners world notes uh, are fairly secretive events since organizers have to avoid restrictive open container laws <laughs> they're all running runners chug a 12 ounce can or bottle between four laps oh my god in the case of the beer not staying down extra laps are prescribed as penalties no (laughs) not a sport for the faint-hearted yeah no kidding uh this definitely sounds like a once in a lifetime thing i can't imagine doing it year over year and and showing up every single time and trying to beat your own record i guess this is something that maybe you have to train for i wonder what the training regimen is for the the beer mile the beer chugging events just sounds potentially dangerous 
no, no good. No good. I'm not, I'm not ready to, to be in this workout routine. That's for sure. Last up, uh, we have an article from MilwaukeeRecord.com. It is uh, Milwaukee will try to break the Guinness record for simultaneous beer can opening. Do they see the irony here of Guinness being the record? I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's got a, I mean, right. Oh boy. I don't even have a response for that one. I just, just saying. Well done. Yeah. No, 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 no. Guinness world records, not Guinness the beer. <laughs> Why do I always have to explain this stuff? Oh. Oh. Despite the occasional, woof, we got to slow down. Milwaukeeans love to drink. Is that a good thing? It can't be. Is it a bad thing? It can be. Uh, can we use our drinking prowess for good and break the Guinness World Record for simultaneous beer can opening? We try to do that here on this show every time. I could maybe just layer them in post and just have, uh, you know, a hundred different Tim's cracking open a hundred different beers over the course of a hundred different episodes. But but the problem is a hundred would not cut it. I think currently held by a career by career consulting company in Japan with eleven hundred and forty nine people cracking open a beer at the same time. Excuse me, 1,149. Yes, 1,149 people simultaneously opening a can of beer. That's incredible. <laughs> That's, I mean, well, fill a stadium and get this done, people. It reminds me, did you ever see the video of like world record number of people playing a guitar song at the same time? <laughs> Was it like Foo Fighters or something? Like, yeah. Didn't Dave Grohl like lead That's, that? That sounds familiar. Or like a bunch of drummers bringing all yeah. their kits out and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen stuff like that. So uh, Wonder Bar in Milwaukee uh, will host an attempt on Saturday, October 6th at 4 p.m. during the Villette Street Fall Festival. Uh, the price for participating will be about $20 and that gets you a can for opening. So don't open it right away or you're going to be in a party. Shoot! <laughs> I thought this was the drinking yeah, one. Uh-huh. Uh, you also get a complimentary tap beer, a t-shirt, some downloadable photos and bragging rights, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a portion of the entry fee will actually also go to help disabled veterans. So I like that it's giving back. Yeah. I, I mean, more power to them to break this record. I can't even imagine how you would organize that. That's a lot of, it's a lot of cans. I, want, I wonder what they're going to be opening. Something cheap? Please be Guinness. If what, you're, if you're listening, the irony be? if you're listening, Wonder Bar, that's the way to do it. Break the Guinness World Record with yeah. Guinness. Yeah, how loud would that be? I want, I want to hear like a decibel number when this is done on October sixth. I want to hear how loud is it? How many cans? How much overflow? What, what you know? What beer was opened? Let's do some follow up to see to see what actually happens with this. Yes, I'll, I'll keep an eye out and see if I can find anything. Well, speaking of keeping an eye out, you should also keep an eye out on our podcast by going to podcast.untap.com, checking out the show notes. We've got a lot of links, uh, some from time.com, some from other websites, but we'll let you know. They're, they're in there. Go check them out. If you have any questions for us, be sure to send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We'll take a look. Add them to our backlog and maybe answer your question on a future podcast. And if you could take a second to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate or review the show or both, whatever you want to do, uh, five stars is appreciated. And any comments or feedback that you have, feel free to write it up and send it in. We're always checking that out and seeing what we can use to make this show better. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.